this rock gets things to it. And it's, it's perfect rock and the wood that he brings to us this morning. Lord, we just uh, ask that your words uh, flow through Rob this morning. Pray your anointing on him as he brings us your message. And see deep into our hearts, our minds and our souls. Morning, everyone. Yeah. New Year, 2021. Who was really waiting for 2021? <laughs> a few years ago, I was in I was in Liverpool, in the UK. Yes, Amen. Um, uh, we need to pray for him because uh, yeah. Um, and I, I was asked to preach a sermon based on how I was feeling at the time, which was interesting because no one usually when I go to a church they give me you know, what they want me to preach on. But this time, this little church, which was called the Old Rhone Baptist, what a great name for a Baptist church in the middle of Liverpool. Um, they had supported us in Christchurch when I was pastoring at a Palmer Baptist. And uh, at 2014, the earthquakes by then had basically subsided. And so we thought it would be good if they sent me to these churches to just preach there and share the message and, and thank them for all their support. But they asked me to preach on something um, that was dear to me, that was close to me at that moment. And I pulled out Psalm 23. And I'm going to share a little bit of that sermon to you this morning. Just a little different for a bit shorter than what it was. But it feels like the same kind of feeling back then. We had spent a good portion of three years dealing with earthquakes. Dealing with this change that had been forced upon us. Change that completely changed everything, the way we did things, the language that we use. I mean, who ever heard of liquefaction before 2010? I never did. But it was just part of our language. It's just like COVID. Who ever heard of COVID before last year? I mean, apart from some of you really smart people. Um, I'd never heard of COVID before. Um, and so there was this, you know, change of language. There was a sense of tiredness. There was a sense of well, what's next, Lord? There was a sense of, okay, the earthquakes have subsided. What's next? There was actually a lot of excitement during it. There was a lot of energy to say, we can do this. And so we did, we did building projects. We went around and cleaned people's homes. We got food parcels together our, um, at our church there. Our hall was converted into a food bank. We had trucks delivering vegetables and everything from all over the south South Island to us, it was incredible. There was a lot going on. And we were energized, but as time went on, we just got kind of tired of it. We just got really just like, really? This is just going too long. And so when it was time for me to go on this trip to go share, you know, all the great things God has done, and, you know, I just didn't feel it. Psalm 23 came to mind. And in a sense, I feel like that today. When COVID first hit, we sprang into action. There was a sense of, okay, we've got to get this done. We've got to do some video recordings and, and this and that. And then we, everyone was really into Zooming. And by about the fifth week, no one wanted to Zoom anymore. Right? It was a little overwhelming. And it just grew over time until, you know, that finally we get out of it. And then there's that dreaded thing that you hear on the news. There will be a press conference on Friday at 1 p.m. and everyone just gets all tensed up, right? Thinking, oh, we're going back into lockdown. Oh, someone's caught it. And in a sense, Christchurch felt that way. I thought to start the year, 
the biggest thing that came to me with Psalm 23 was the sense of trust. That I'm called to be a follower of Jesus. And that requires faith. But faith requires a whole lot of trust. Trust that he's in control. Trust that um, he's bigger than this. And this is the basis. Some of you might have heard many sermons on this famous psalm. It's quoted in a lot of movies too. In very negative ways, might I say. But this is a psalm all about trusting God. It opens up like this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters and he restores my soul. What a great way to open a psalm. It immediately tackles the first point of trust. Do you trust God to provide? This word, I shall not be in want. Do you trust God that he will provide for you? When the earthquakes hit in Christchurch, the first thing we did was amazing. We went straight to the petrol station. Who goes to a petrol station? We did because we thought there'd be no more petrol left and we filled up our cars. We forgot that we did actually needed more important things like water. And on Brompton Road, right there's a, there's a Shell petrol station that the line went for I don't know how long. And we went and got petrol because there was a want, there was a need. And after a while, we found out at our house that we were without water for like four weeks. Well, actually, I think it was six weeks, and it was four, three weeks with no electricity. I can't even remember the times, but there were long times, longer without water than without electricity. And I didn't realize how important water was. I can't make pasta without water. <laughs> Come on, man. And having to get up in the middle of the night to take my, my youngest daughter into the backyard to go to her toilet because she was afraid it was dark. All these things changed. And all of a sudden, all I wanted was a working toilet or running water. But do you trust God to provide? It's interesting what the psalmist asks for. Because right after the want, he lays down three, three things. He says this, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He, make, he leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He's asking for green pastures. He's asking for quiet waters. He's asking for restoration. Today, we pay a lot of money to get these three things. Those nice retreat centers that we go to. In Romans 8.32, since God did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for all of us, one God who gave, gave us Christ also give us everything else. Green pastures, quiet waters, restores my soul. This was written by David. David was a shepherd. He understood the value of green pastures, of quiet waters. When he was pastoring before he became king, he was generally set south of Bethlehem. Now, when we think of green pastures, we think of lush green land. And you see that in some photos of Israel today. But a lot of that land has been irrigated. When we were in Israel, 
2012, I took this photo. And uh, there was a rabbi who was teaching us the book of Exodus. But when we were reading through this, because the valley just below was one of the valleys that the Israelites walked through. And of course, you're standing there looking, you're like, oh my goodness, they walk past here. And he's like, yeah, just down there. And um, But then he stopped and he said, does anyone... Has anyone ever read Psalm 23? And I said, oh, of course we have. And he goes, you know, when, when, when uh, you know, David talks about green pastures, and I'm like, yeah. And he goes, this is it. I'm like, yeah, what are you talking about? He goes, this is when it's green. And you can see, because you can't see it in this photo. Monica can tell you this. But if you looked closely, you could see shepherds. And these weird sheep things, because they didn't look normal sheep to me, but they were these sprinkly little things, and they're all clinging onto the rocks because there's all these green outpoppings. And the rabbi would tell us, he goes, those who shepherded south of Bethlehem, like David, would have to go for a long way to find just a bit of greenery for their sheep, for their flock. And then, you know, the, the, the better months of the year, all of a sudden, for about three or four months a year, this green will pop out of the desert like that. And it would be lush, because all they'd ever seen was browns and blacks and whites and greys. And then all of a sudden, this green will pop up. When we talk about wants, sometimes we're driven a little bit too much by what the world thinks the wants are good for us, rather than wants that we truly for David this was green pastures it fit his sheep in the background is the Dead Sea he would have been longing quiet waters it's a question of whether we trust God to provide for us, but not provide for us in, in what the world thinks we should have, but provide for us in what he thinks we should have, what is enough for us. Going on in Psalm 23, verse 3, he says, he guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And that leads us to this question, do you trust God to guide you, to lead you. Sometimes we use these great verses, you know, in Ephesians, it says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, or even in um, Philippians, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. These are verses that many of us in church use to empower us so that we can do great things because he is our guide. He lays the path before us. But what we miss out and what Paul is saying in both these verses and what David is even saying in Psalm 23 is he's actually talking about what we can do, what God does inside of us. The paths of righteousness aren't the ones before us. They're the ones inside of us. The immeasurable good and, and all that he can give us is not about clothes and all this other stuff. It's about what he does with our soul, with our heart, and the power that we have. Because I can do all things because Christ strengthens me. It isn't how I can change the world. It's how he can change me. We talk a lot about what power God can do 
through us, we need to stop and think of the power that God can do in us. Because ultimately, it's for his name's sake. Do you trust him to guide you? To be the person he has called you to be? For his sake. This one's a tough one. This one's a tough one. We're called to be guided by him, for him. I read recently a book, God has a stamp on us. It says, made by God, for God. How does that change the way you are on your journey at the moment? That you are here for him. Do you trust him to guide you? To provide, to guide. Going on in verse 4, he goes, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It's a foreboding verse, isn't it? It's quoted in so many movies and so many ways. But it asks us this question. Do you trust God to protect you? Do you trust God to protect you? And this is a big challenge. Because a lot of what we see in the world today, not with the world but with Christians, is a reaction to their own fears. What I see when you see churches who uh, put their foot down because they have to meet on Sundays and no government's going to tell me not to meet on Sundays, that's a fear reaction. That is born out of fear within you. When I say I'm not going to wear a mask and we kind of scratch our heads and think, how could people think that way? It's a fear reaction. Christ has not called us to react in fear, but to trust that he will protect us. They may shut us down. That doesn't stop us in our journey with God, nor does it stop him working within us or with those around us. Sometimes we react out of fear because we don't trust that God will protect. We use great language to say, hey, God wants us to be. Woohoo! Actually, it's a fear response. It's a fear response. Do you trust that God's got this? In Jonah chapter 2, we, we start. Uh, Jonah chapter 2 starts like this From inside the belly of a fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. Now, just to give you a quick background for those of you who don't know who Jonah is and haven't heard the story, Jonah was asked by God to go to Assyria. Now, the Assyrians were the ancient uh, version of the Nazis. Uh, a lot worse, actually. The Nazis only lasted, what, 20 years? The Assyrians lasted 1,500. They were the bad boys on the block. They were horrible, horrible people. Did some horrible, horrible things 
to the peoples around them, sometimes themselves. But God wanted Jonah to go there and preach the good news, salvation, repent, or they'll be destroyed. And of course, Jonah thought better of that. So he said, right, okay, uh, Nineveh, the capital of the series over here, I'm going to go way over here. And that's what he did. He hops on a boat and takes off. God sends a storm onto this boat. The people on the boat try to figure out how, how they're going to stop this, how they're going to get through this alive. Jonah says, the only way you're going to do it, you're going to have to throw me over, overboard. So they throw him overboard, and a big fish comes and swallows him up. And that's what we get to here in Jonah chapter 2. Now, in Jonah chapter 2, he starts like this. Now, for those of you who might have seen the Disney movie Pinocchio, anyone see that? Some of us oldies might have seen it a long time ago. There's that scene of Geppetto inside the whale. He's on a raft and he's fishing. You know, it's kind of chilling, you know, with a little stove. I don't know how he got it in there with a little fire going. This is not the same thing. The belly of the fish is a disgusting place to be in. He is being slowly digested with stomach acids and fluids and other broken up fish in there with him. He's got nowhere to go. But there seems to be something about Jonah in this moment where he is, first of all, he's praising God from the belly, from inside the belly of a fish. He's praising God. I don't know about you guys, I'll be, I'll be screaming right in that moment, wouldn't you? I'll be clawing my way out somehow, but he's praising God in the belly of a fish. And secondly, he's assuming God's going to get him out. There's just this assumption about him that God's going to deal with this. He's not finished with me yet. When we are challenged, when we walk through valleys, you know, people say, I'll, I'll lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my hope come from? It comes from the Lord. Why am I lifting my eyes up to the hills? Because I'm in a valley or I'm in the belly of a fish. Do we trust God that he will protect us, that he will get us through this? Do we trust him? You know, if you read the news, it's just depressing stuff of late. Even Liverpool's getting depressing lately. They should be winning everything. Why aren't they winning everything? And instead, I get these COVID news things that come in, and there's a worse strain here, and there's this and that. Now Sydney's broken out. I was so excited to go see Mum in maybe April, May. That ain't going to happen. I'm thinking, how long are we going to be stuck on this island? Oh, you guys live here. I think you guys grew up here. I know, but this is an island. It's so small. We're in the middle of the ocean. Why can't we get out of here? Do we trust God to protect us? Do we trust God that he's got this? We trust him to provide. We trust him to guide. We also trust him to protect. Do we trust the shepherd or do we fear the moment? In a way, maybe it's just me, but I don't really care what the government does. I don't care what these superpowers do. The Israelites had to live with the Assyrians for 1,500 years. But guess where the Assyrians are today? There's a great story, a, a general of, 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 um, of Alexander the Great. He was heading towards Babylon. And they passed these big mounds 
broken ruins, and they didn't know what they were. And he wrote in his journal, this must have been a great civilization once upon a time. And then just left it and moved on. He was talking about Nineveh, the capital of Assyria. It had become a wasteland. Where is Israel today? We can point it to the mountains, still there. Jerusalem, still there. Do we trust him? Or do we fear the most? The psalm ends beautifully. It's only six verses, but it's so powerful. You, there's the last two verses, verses five and six. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. As we are challenged coming into a new year, looking back at the year that we've gone through and looking to 2021, you know what? 2021 might not be any better. Oh, don't say that, Rob. Oh, come on. The challenge I want to give you is trust him. The Bible is filled with individuals who are thrown into these awful situations, bizarre situations, totally out of control situations, and God tells them, trust me, I've got this. Trust me, I'm with you. With Abraham, he says this, I am with you to bless you. With Jacob, I am with you to keep you. With Israel, the nation of Israel, I am with you to strengthen you. With Jeremiah, I am with you to deliver you. And with Judah, the Jews, he's saying, I am with you to save you. And Jesus says to us today, I am with you to the end of the age. And I could go after story after story of every individual in the Bible where they're faced with what seems to be insurmountable things in their own brokenness, in their own sin, in their own weirdness. God is right beside them. They don't see it sometimes, but God is there. So, for 2021, as we venture into a new year, which, by the way, is just arbitrary. It's a number. Time doesn't stop. But as we do venture, may we be renewed, challenged to trust him, that he's got this. That for some of us being stuck in the belly of a fish is not a fun place to be in, but are you willing to trust him now that he's got you covered? He's here to bless you, to keep you, to strengthen you, to deliver you, to save you, and will be with you till the end of the age. This morning, we're going to have communion as the first Sunday of a new year. May this be a time for you personally to renew your covenant with God. not interested in what came before you. He's interested in what comes ahead of you. He's not interested in the person you were. He's interested in the person you'll become. And Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, 
was sitting around a group of friends, followers, close people that he trusted, that he knew in a few hours' time would desert him. But he was looking beyond that. And as he took the bread, he broke it, he gave thanks, and he gave it to them. And said, this is my body, broken for you. You don't see this yet. You don't get this yet. And in fact, in the next few hours, you're going to abandon it. But I know one moment in the near future, you'll wake up and you'll remember this moment. That as I break bread, I offer it to you as my body. May you remember me. Sacrifice. He took the cup. He gave thanks. He said, this is the cup of the covenant. My blood shed for you. You don't see my blood shedding now, but in a few hours it will. And today, it's a covenant we hold to. The cup of salvation found in Jesus Christ. Take a moment, lift and re-consecrate your lives to the Lord of God. Renew that covenant you have with Him. And then when you're ready, come forward, take the bread, take the cup, and commune with your Lord. We'll do this.